Hi, my name is Paul. And my name is Colin. And today we're going to be talking about Lucretius's rhetoric in the modern world. We're going to be looking at how Lucretius uh, convinces his audience of the things that he sets out to believe. And we're going to be comparing this to another writer, uh, specifically Hesiod. And we're going to be comparing how the two authors draw their readers in and how they try and get their readers to believe what they're um, saying. And we're going to describe Lucretius's rhetoric by looking at specific passages and determining how these passages show the, con- the techniques that Lucretius uses. And at the, at the end of the podcast, we'll be looking at how to apply Lucretius's techniques to our own lives today and how these things can help us in the modern world. First, I'll give a brief background of both the authors, Lucretius and Hesiod. Lucretius was born in 94 BC in Pompeii and then died in 55 BCE. He was inspired by the ideas of Epicurus, who believed that the natural sciences can be a route for philosophical thinkings. Lucretius was a philosopher who uses logic and reasoning to answer questions about the universe. We'll be comparing this logical way of thinking to authors such as Hesiod, who uses um, very vivid images to convey his thoughts. Hesiod lived um, before Lucretius in 8th to 7th century BCE. Hesiod uses vivid imagery of the gods to tell powerful stories to engage his audience. For example, in the poem Theogony, he describes the daughters of Zeus marching to meet their father in Olympus, on page 5. So then they went to Olympus, glorying in their beautiful voices, singing divinely. The dark earth rang round them as they sang, and from their dancing feet came a lovely estempi as they went to their father. These phrases, such as singing divinely and the dark earth rang around them and their dancing feet, invoke images into the reader's mind. This makes the poem much more fun to pass along and orate, and the orator can physically dance around and sing, making for a more memorable experience. Lucretius first draws his reader in with this type of imagery that Hesiod uses, and then when he has the attention of the audience and uses logical rhetoric to express his ideas. Lucretius opens his work by invoking Venus on the first page of Book 1. Venus is familiar to the reader and is a god that many would be familiar with as she was one of the most important gods in Roman culture. The quote that uh, Lucretius uses is, Conceived through you and rises forth and gazes on the light. The winds flee from you, goddess. Your arrival puts to flight the clouds of the heaven. For you, the crafty earth contrives sweet flowers. For you, the ocean laughs. The skies grow peaceful after showers are washed with light. This is not the same kind of invocation of the muses or the gods that Hesiod uses in his work, but it's still very important to note that Lucretius is not discounting the gods at all, and instead is recognizing their importance to his work and to society in general. After the intention of the reader is grabbed, he slowly starts to use his rhetoric. He introduces what's familiar to the reader, and then starts to propound his own ideas. Yeah, that passage that you read seemed pretty similar to Hesiod, saying that the winds were fleeing, and flight of the clouds of heaven with sweet flowers and oceans laugh it invokes a lot of imagery one other point that uh lucretius does to make his work easier to listen to is that he's funny um one example that we have is from book four where he compares the reader to a child who's being fed medicine and being led in by the honey all round with honey's sweet blonde stickiness that way to lure gullible youth to taste it and to drain the bitter cure the child's duped but not cheated rather put back in the pink that's what i do 
So in this case, he says that the pill is Lucretius's philosophy and the honey is the rich song, or otherwise known as his rhetoric. By making the text fun to read, it has spread faster and withstood the test of time, and now the text is around for us to enjoy today. Yeah, Colin, that's exactly what I was talking about earlier when I said that he is introducing what's familiar to the reader and then using that to start his own argument. He's not trying to start out by saying something that's inflammatory or that the reader is not going to agree with right off, right off the bat, because if he does that, a lot of readers may put the book down, and I think that's a very good strategy that Lucretius is using to lull the reader in with what's familiar, what they know, and what's like going to entertain them, and then he starts to build off of this and starts to uh, use his own ideas to prove his point. Um, one interesting example of this is it kind of stands in contrast with the invocation of Venus at the beginning of his work is when he talks about Iphigenia and Agamemnon's sacrifice of her to Artemis to try and get the winds to be on his side. And this is a, 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 an example of him using a logical basis for his arguments and his insights. Um, even though he's talking about the gods, invokes the gods at the beginning, he is standing in contrast with people like Hesiod in, in saying that the gods aren't the end-all be-all, and that the gods in religion and faith are to be questioned at times, just as everything else is to be questioned. Lucretius brings up the point about Iphigenia. He talks about how religion, more often than not, causes the people to be wicked and evil, and the example he uses of Iphigenia is a perfect one because it brings out an emotional aspect uh, for the reader, because how could it, the reader not think that it's horrible for a man to sacrifice his own daughter's life? for something as simple as the winds. And book one, lines 80 through 100, he implies that it is rare for religion to lead to good deeds by saying that it, it makes people do bad more often than it does good. Um, and Lucretius points out that it's one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful, forces in convincing people to do wrong. And not only does he think that this is something that like the gods aren't involved in, he just says that religion and nature don't really mix in this way that people have this uh, perception that they do. He says that to even say that a sacrifice of a person such as Iphigenia would lead to the winds being greater or better for Agamemnon's fleet is kind of ridiculous. And Lucretius says that all this for fair winds. He says that basically that this kind of thing is more or less ridiculous. Um, and he even provides a logical basis for the wind later on to kind of even further prove this point by in book one uh, lines 383 to 390 he talks about how the wind is really just the air rushing in to fill a void left by another object so he provides the example of the gods um being wrong and be religion being wrong and when it comes to getting wind and stuff like that and he says that that's kind of absurd and then he provides a more logical explanation for it and obviously we know that lucretius's explanation of how the wind works is not what how wind actually works, but it's important for the sake of him using more sound reasoning to figure out what's going on than just leaving things up to the gods like earlier people and like Hesiod. Hesiod says he has no idea what's going on. The muses told him all these things and he's just basically putting them out there for the reader um, and he can't prove if they're true or not. And Lucretius instead tries to prove that the these things have more natural origins and that they're not coming from the gods themselves um he basically says that the gods don't have this kind of involvement in the world that we think they do and he again uses logic to prove this um he talks in book five lines 157 to 181 
he says, why would the immortals come and live among us when they have everything they could ever want? They're immortal, and their lives are so much better than the average miserable life of people in antiquity. And this provides kind of an emotional appeal, again, because people would have some sort of connection to that. And it also provides a logical appeal. Why would people, you know, people would see that if I could avoid the tragedies that happened in my life, I would. So it just makes sense that the gods would not have any sort of a role in our world. Um, and that the gods would never lift a finger for our sake. Um, and Lucretius is continually using this logic and this logic-based rhetoric to tell us what he thinks is going on and to prove that the things that we've come to know or that the people in antiquity have come to know are not what they think they are. That's interesting. One thing I picked up there was you said that Lucretius started out aligning himself with Hesiod and invoking Venus, one of the gods. Do you think that was just to draw his readers in? And then he later on responded to that and cleared things up where he eventually took a different path than Hesiod took. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. I think he's he's drawing on the ideas of all those who have come before him um, and the people who have sort of set this framework up of the gods' involvement in our, our lives. And it's kind of a familiar thing for people to see at the beginning of a work in this time period for the gods to be invoked. And I think that that like kind of that's a, a brilliant move by Lucretius in introducing his ideas is to set that up just in a, a similar way to Hesiod does. It's not the same, obviously. It's a little bit different. Um, there's differences from Roman and Greek stuff too, but it's in a very similar kind of fashion to the way that Hesiod does it with the um, with the muses. I think that this is a great strategy that we could directly apply to our own lives and. So, for example, when you're presenting things that people might be strongly against, I wouldn't immediately refute the other people's opinions. I would slowly try to gain their attention and introduce your ideas gradually, just as we saw with Lucretius's work, where he would maybe at first just not um, agree with the other people's ideas, but maybe go along with it just to get their engagement and make them um, have a reason to listen to you. Yeah, exactly. If you come out right away and you're trying to argue a point and you say right off the bat that the person has no validity to their argument, they're wrong and that there's no way that the, anything that they say could be true, nobody's going to listen to you, especially at a time in antiquity when these ideas are so um, solidified in society. People, if you, if you come out and say, oh, these ideas are garbage, these aren't real, um, people that think this are stupid, then nobody's going to listen to Lucretius. And he realizes that, and that if he had come out that way and just started, you know, basically throwing gasoline on the fire, that nobody was going to take him seriously and nobody would listen to what he has to say. And that's exactly the kind of argumentative strategy that we could take in our own lives and use in things such as even a college paper. If you disagree with the premise that, and you're writing about that, you can't just throw the ideas out the window and just start talking about your own thing. You have to recognize that there's another side to arguments, and Lucretius does that and then uses logical steps and gradually introduces ideas to um, show why he's right and why his opposition is wrong. Uh, another strong application that I thought this would work very well with, where Paul and I are seniors at the college, and we're going through the process where we're going to have to prepare for job interviews. And I think it's always a good idea to engage your interviewer by making them interested in what you have to say, maybe following up some logic with maybe a personal story or some insight that isn't just facts about your life that someone can find on your resume and this is seen by Lucretius's rhetoric uh, where he combines both audience engagement um, so like maybe his wit along with logical material that he wants to get across.
Yeah, he also uses emotion and things like that to make his points softer and to make them more um, applicable and more tasteful, I guess, in a way to his audience. This is the conclusion to our podcast. I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you very much for listening today. I hope you took something away from uh, our talk about Lucretius and his rhetoric. Thank you.